little background on our text today. Psalm 121 is one of those 15 psalms that make up the Psalms of Ascent. Now, these psalms were part of this old Hebrew book called the Sharah Hamalath, which was a songbook for the Song of Ascents. And the Hebrews, pilgrims that they were, as they were traveling back to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs right before they arrived at one of the great worship festivals. And this trip was not only a literal ascent up to the mountains to that high place where Jerusalem was located in Palestine, it also acted as a metaphor for ascending toward God. And three times a year, these Hebrews would make this journey, this trek. They would leave whatever it is, their homes, their work, whatever, and head on out. And I believe that it is in the traveling and in the singing of these 15 psalms along this pilgrimage that gives us that very best background image that we have for understanding life as a faith journey. Because when we learn these songs, these psalms, and we begin singing them and living them, We see how we are to journey as foreigners in this strange land and how we can live in that long obedience in the same direction. Now, this psalm today is found in your bulletin. You can open it up. There's plenty of space there to make notes as we kind of go through the text together today. But before we dive into that text, I want to read for you this, this, uh, it's not really a quote because it's super long. How long can a quote be? Infinite. So this is a quote because it is not infinite and it falls a little bit shorter than this. So here it goes. This, this resonated with me, connected with me. I'm going to read it to you. The moment we really say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved, questions answered, troubles are over, the tranquility of peace in our soul cannot be disturbed. And from that moment on, nothing interferes with the assurance that all is well between me and my Lord, and that nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship that has been established by faith in Jesus. Christians are among that privileged company of persons who don't have accidents, arguments with their spouses. They aren't misunderstood by their peers. Our children never disobey us. And if any of those things should happen, doubt, storm of anger, loneliness, accidents, It's a sign that something is wrong with our relationship with God. And now we have either consciously or unconsciously retracted our yes to God, and God, impatient with our fickleness, has gone off to take care of someone more deserving of his attention and blessing. It's a sign that something is wrong with our relationship with God, and that God, impatient with our fickleness, has gone off to take care of someone else more deserving of his attention. Is that what you believe? Because if it is, I have great news for you. You're wrong. <laughs> Sometimes when we're wrong, it's really hard, right? We want to we get a little bit embarrassed. We get, we get shade of red. We try to put our head in the sand, but there's usually never any sand. That's why God gave us hoodies. We can kind of put it on there or phones to kind of hide behind, right? All that stuff helps. But sometimes it can be good to be wrong. It brings a little bit of relief to us. I experienced that not too long ago. This is a stapler. Now, we are in full VBS mode. I went to use this stapler. It was empty. What do you do? No, you fill it up with staples. See, you're wrong and you're not embarrassed. Now, you fill it up with staples, and I'm jamming these staples in. Because I have a college degree, and I'm, I'm putting them in, and this little piece right here, can you see it, sir? I'll walk down the aisles. This little piece right here, it's not going up like it's supposed to. 
The staples are supposed to be in there. It's supposed to work. I'm supposed to be able to close this, and then I'm supposed to be able to snap shut the 5,000 green rings that will make up trees that will decorate the stage and other places of the campus, and it's not going. And I am frustrated at this point. There are thoughts going through my head that, okay, well, maybe I have too many staples in. So I tried to, like, get everything in. It turns out I can put three staples in, and then when I shut it, it didn't work again, and that's when I about lost it. And the woman who sits next to me, after watching this with a big smile on her face, said, oh, you're putting those in upside down. Because, see, I thought it goes in like this, but you have to put them in the other way, and then when you close it, it worked just fine. And she smiled and handed it back to me. And being wrong brought me instant relief and joy and saved me $7.99 from having to go to Staples as I was about to throw this against the wall. But I think that this verse in Psalm, this text, this entire one, actually, these eight verses, is a very gentle voice that is asking us to consider that perhaps sometimes we have been wrong about the way we have been living this Christian life. And this Psalm shows us the right way a way to not disregard God and to look around to see what the world has to offer, but instead to know who he is and what he does. So as we look at that text today, and again, right there in your bulletin, let's examine it. See verse 3, verse 6. There are three possibilities for harm that a traveler might encounter on a journey. Because remember, they usually had to walk by foot. Now, a person traveling on foot can at any moment step on a stone, on a loose rock or something, and sprain their ankle. A person traveling on foot under a scorching hot sun can become faint, exhausted, they can suffer from sunstroke, and a person traveling for a long distance under the pressures of fatigue and anxiety can become emotionally ill, which was described by the ancient writers as being moonstruck, or by us, lunacy, the word luna there for the moon. But even today, as travelers, maybe we're not walking, we could add a whole list of dangers that happen when we travel. Disease, natural disasters, freak accidents, attacks. We could spend some time probably listing out the potential disasters and dangers that are there. And then we see this psalm. In this psalm, it is adamantly clear that God protects us. And so here's where I think the problem is for me. Does that mean that Christians are never supposed to encounter harm because some of the best Christians I know have sprained their ankle, have suffered from exhausted, have been overwrought with anxiety or other mental problems, haven't been able to have a baby, got divorced, lost a loved one. So I get left thinking when I read this that either these people weren't Christians or that this psalm doesn't apply to them. Or maybe that this psalm is wrong and that God isn't doing what this psalm says God can do. And the reason I struggle with that is because the hurt and the pain that we feel and the word of God that is truth and in front of us today, neither of those can be disregarded, can be swept under the rug and ignored or be trivialized. So if you permit me, I'd like to go and spend some time examining this psalm with you. For this is a psalm that the followers of God have clung to for centuries. 
Now, let's first thing we need to remember what's actually going on for those who would have sung it and lived this psalm as they were going. Now, as they're traveling back to those festivals, they would have looked up and the first things they would have seen would have been mountains. Now, according to motivational posters that I once purchased, mountains are the picturesque definition of something that is strong and firm and in solidarity. But that's not the only thing that they would see in these great mountains. They would also see lots of opportunities. See, pagan worship was rampant in the culture during this time. And most of the worship that was practiced was done on the tops of hills where there were shrines and trees filled with prostitutes inviting you in and luring you in to come. People were lured to the shrines to engage in acts of worship that would not only enhance the fertility of the land, that would bless your travel, that would make you feel good, that would protect you from evil. You could find spells, enchantments, trinkets, protections, you name it. All of these things were along the road to help you as you traveled. If you were worried about getting sunstroke, then you can come and offer up a prayer to the sun. And the priest there will stir up the God. He will waken him, and then he will grant you protection and give you shade. You don't want the harmful effect, the influence of the moon to get you going crazy? Well, then you need to go to this priestess, and you can buy an amulet. And if you've been having some demons throw pebbles in your sandals as you're walking around or the wheels in your wagon just aren't working right, well, you can visit this shrine, learn the magic enchantments and spells to speak so that all of that danger and mischief will be warded off. You walk and you can't help but look and see that your help comes from the hills. Every problem you encounter can be fixed, warded off, if you just simply look around and just take what you need. It's not always easy or cheap, but it's there. And it'll give you the immediate fix and the assurance that you need as you travel. Now, I need to make a side note here because when I wrote that, I was thinking, I don't want you in any way, shape, or form to be thinking that modern medicine or that therapy is anyhow being compared here to ancient religion. I myself have experienced the healing that comes in good therapy. And I've seen how mental illness and medicine can come alongside and bring restoration and heal people. How a change in diet or having a surgery done can get you back on track. And if you are considering therapy, or if you're suffering from any mental illness, pursue the help that you need. Go to the doctor and get that help. God has given us doctors and medicine to aid in our healing. If the body wasn't important, then he wouldn't have spent any time healing people. But also don't go chasing every craze and trend or get caught up in an unhealthy balance. You have to consult people you trust. You have to pray. And do not ever think that if I just had more faith, then none of this would have happened to me. It's never faith in spite of getting help. And if you want to talk more about this, Pastor Nathan is here, Pastor Mike is here, I'm here. We'll stay with you afterwards. You can email us. We want you to be able to find help and healing. Oh, we got to get back on the sermon now. Every Hebrew travel 2,500 years ago would have seen this. They would have looked up to the hills, and they would have seen that help. 
And so the cry, does my help come from the mountains, does my strength come from the mountains, is a resounding, like I heard in the front row, ladies, not only do you know about goldfish, but you know to shout, no. No from God, because it was God who made the heaven and the earth. It's a reason why we say that creed. It's non-negotiable. God is the creator of heaven and earth and even those mountains that they're on. For when you look at the mountains, their beauty, their strength, their purple majesty, in the end, they're nothing more than dirt and rocks. And the promises and the safety and the allurements of those priests and priests who promise you quick fixes and lies, all that ends there for you is disappointment. Psalm 121 rejects the worship of that nature, of the religion of the hills, and calls us to look to the one who has created everything. And it goes a step further. You remember Elijah, right? He was that one prophet, famous probably for building the altar, but he's also sitting back because he's in that contest with the prophets of Baal. They're doing all the dances. He's shouting, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Yell a little bit louder. You'll wake him up. They do everything they can, never did it. Elijah walks up, he's like, you know what? You know what is the opposite of fire? I'm going to give you another chance, sir. Water, say water. water. Yes, water. So I'll pour some water on it. Then it won't light on fire. And then boom, one quick prayer, bam, fire. Your God doesn't sleep. The creator is always awake. He is the one who is Lord over everything. He guards you when you leave and when you return. He knows your beginnings and he knows your end because he is the beginning and the end. God is the one who is with you when you set out on your journey and he will be with you and he will be the one who will be waiting there with open arms when you arrive. For our God, the creator, is Lord over all natural, supernatural forces. He made them. The sun, the moon, rocks. They do not have spiritual power can't inflict any evil upon us, so we don't need to fear any assaults from them. So then what is this psalm saying? The promise of this psalm, the truth that it proclaims, is not that we shall never stub our toe or that we'll never get hurt, but it's that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will ever have evil power over us. That is, none of those things will be able to separate us from God's purpose that he has given us. None of those things, illness, disease, will define who we are. We sang at the beginning, I am a child of God. And if we experience any of those things, it is not a sign that God no longer loves us. How can we be sure? Because there is no other literature on the face of the earth that is more realistic and honest than the Bible when it comes to facing the harsh facts of life. Somewhere along the the way, we may have bought into this lie that becoming a Christian means everything goes well and I'll experience no harm. But at no time in the Bible is there the faintest suggestion that that life of faith that we all now live in will ever be exempt from difficulties. And horrible things have a way of either driving us to the hills or driving us to God. And what God promises is the preservation from all the evil that is in the difficulties and the pain and preservation from the control that they can have over us and the fear that they leave. 
He does not promise the absence from struggle. Rather, every page is the recognition that we will encounter trouble. We pray it every week, that Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. St. Paul said we will not be tempted beyond what we will bear. St. Peter said, now you suffer and you face grief, but it is being tested and it will be shown for what it is, a faith of gold. James said, consider it pure joy when you face and encounter suffering. And St. Paul said this, hard-pressed on every side, but never crushed. Perplexed, but never in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. The life of Jesus may be revealed in the suffering and in the pain that we encounter. Each of these disciples died. And so did many others. And while they were alive, they saw death. They faced persecution and suffering, and there's not one of us who is absent from the experience of pain. And I am not interested in comparing whose pain is worse or using that as a comparison to say like, well, you don't have it as bad as this person does. I'm fed up with the pain, tired of it, and ready for Christ to come back. But in the meantime, until he does, We cannot fall into thinking that Christians won't encounter pain or that God doesn't protect us because it'll be like jamming staples into a stapler that's upside down and doesn't work. It's ignoring the very promise of God who said, you're going to encounter trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christians travel the same ground, drink the same water, get the same forms of cancer, citizens under the same government pay the same price for groceries and fear the same dangers buried in the same ground as everybody else. But the difference, the difference is that each step we walk, each breath of air we take, we know that we are preserved by Christ, we know that we are accompanied by Christ, and that we are ruled by Christ. Preserved, accompanied, and ruled. Do you see that God is named three times in these eight verses? This is the personal name of God, the Yahweh. And eight times, in eight verses, he is described as the guardian, the one who watches over. This psalm is all about who God is and what God does. Therefore, no matter what we endure, accidents, trials, tribulations, it is the Lord, the Lord himself, who guards us from every evil and keeps our very lives. The only mistake that we make is that when illness comes, anxiety, you name it, we start to think God's bored. Maybe he's disgusted with us. Maybe he's too busy. No, that's the mistake. And that's the mistake that this psalm cries out, don't make. God's interest in us does not wax or wane based on our spiritual fervitude and temperature. And never forget this either. Christians don't have two religions. 
one of a Sunday glorious worship experience. Jesus died, Jesus rose, eternity alive in us, the magnificence of Genesis creation and the promise and hope of the return and revelations. And then this other one that's like, okay, this one though gets me through the days, Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, everybody takes Saturday off, we all know that. There's no big stuff Sunday, little stuff weekdays. Like Jesus is something that he started on Sunday and now you get it the rest of it. The God who created the universe is the one who walks with us. And I know we would never get a tiny little cut and go to the best surgeon in the world and say, well, you put some Neosporin and a Band-Aid on me. But that is exactly what God wants to do for you and does do. The same God works in the big things, works in the little. The God of Genesis, who brought light out of darkness, is the one who takes the darkness out of you and replaces it with his light. When trouble comes, God is with us. God gives us peace. And when we travel, we know and believe we hope in the Lord, we will renew our strength, soar on wings of eagles, run, not grow weary, walk, and never be faint. Amen?